All right, we're going to talk about sin this morning. Welcome to church, everybody. So glad you came this morning. Um, as you know, we're in a we're in a those you were here last week. We're in a series in the book of First Timothy, and we're going to look at what Paul describes as sin and how do we correctly deal with it and how do we correctly uh, define that. But right before we do that, I know this week is is Veterans Day, and I want to thank our veterans, those that are serving, those who have have served. Our country. We just want to thank you. And uh, I'm going to do a little. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. We're going <clears> to. <throat> we're going to we're going to pray for you in just a moment. But I, I'm going to do a little self-serving dad thing. Is that OK? Can I do a little? My son's Colby is a officer on the USS Kearsarge. I'm going to show you a little 30 second clip of his ship. Is that OK? Because I just it's, it's a dad thing. But let me just show you real quick. All right, for all you military geeks, yeah, yeah, we can, yeah. <laughs> for all you military geeks, that ship is an LHD-3 WASP amphibious assault ship. I have no idea what that means, but that's, that's, the, that's the classification of a ship. And uh, I, what I wanted to do this morning, just as we jump into God's Word, I want to pray for our country. How many of you know our, our country needs the Lord? And uh, we need to pray for our leadership. I'm going to pray for those that you know, that are serving in our, our military, men and women are serving in our military and those that have served. If you've served in our military or are serving, would you just stand for just a moment and let us recognize you and thank you for your service? Yeah, can you thank them? Thank you, guys. We appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. Amen. Thank you for your service. Amen. Can we just, can we just pray and just ask God just to, just to touch our country? Father God, we... We thank you for the freedoms that we have, the freedom that I have to even speak your word, to be able to take communion today. Lord, we are grateful for that, and we are thankful for that. We pray for our country, our leadership, our president, our military God. Lord, our country needs you. We know the only answer is Jesus. We know that, that, that hearts can only be changed through the power and the presence of your word, through a relationship with Christ. So we do, we do pray. We pray for our military, those that are serving, those that have served, Lord, we we thank you for their service, God. So, Lord, as we, as, as we dig into your word, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be changed. That, Lord, we would look at our world through your eyes. That our world needs you. And I pray that we would do that with truth and completely immersed in your love. And so, Lord, help us as a church to always look at our world as our mission field. A, a world that you gave your life for. And so, Lord, we, we need you. We need you now. We need your wisdom on how to navigate through the complexities of our culture. We need your wisdom, and we know that the answers are found in you, Jesus. So just open up our hearts now, we pray, and we just thank you. And we want to be careful to ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name, in Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's children said, amen, amen. So the question I just want, I want to pose to you right off this morning, right off the bat this morning, is how do we know when we're sinning against God? Is it, is it when I only feel um, guilty? How, how do we know the difference between actual guilt and when I've sinned against God and, and self-condemnation that isn't from God? Now, we can live in a constant state of you know, uh, self-condemnation where we feel we're never good enough and we struggle to feel like we can never please God. But if I were to ask you this morning to define sin, how would you describe the word sin? How would you describe? Someone just shout out real quick. Okay, disobedience. What else? 
going against the the word of God. Yeah, those are all all really good things. And I I think many times when we look at sin, um, I, I I want us this morning to understand what the word of God says, that it's more than just doing something wrong. Now, let me explain why I mean, mean that. What, what do I mean by that? Well, here's the problem with that definition of sin is that what might be wrong for you might not be wrong for me, depending on how you interpret that verse or how you interpret sin. When so, what someone considers moral to someone else might be considered immoral. And so we really have to understand what does the word of God say about this? Because we live in a culture where um, we don't want others pushing their morals on us. So really, what is sin and how do I know that I'm actually sinning against God? Now, what Paul does for us in Romans chapter 6 is he, he defines for us what it should look like for a follower of Jesus and our relationship with trying to follow him and then this, this, this relationship with how do I overcome sin or how do I walk correctly in my life? Because no, how many of us know just because we become Christians doesn't mean we're never going to sin or make a mistake. And so there's this struggle. How do we grow in our maturity with the Lord? How do we recognize sin in our life and how do we deal with it correctly? Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. He says, so you should also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? Like the dominance of sin no longer should have that power over our lives through our relationship with Christ Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Now that's good news because now in Christ Jesus, we have the power to do that. Do not let any part of your bodies become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Now, just, oh, just get this point with me. Please get this point. Church, 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 church. Here's a problem in many Christian cultures. We look at sin as, as the things that I should not do. As long as I'm not doing those things and I'm doing the right things, then I'm okay. It's kind of like a checklist. Right? I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. It's so much more than that. I want you to understand that it's the grace of God, like Paul says here, that you're living under that freedom of that grace through the power of Jesus' name that I can now choose to serve him and not allow sin's dominance over my life. So notice what Paul says here. It's by God's grace. It's not some self-righteous thing or checklist that I don't do now. Because what that can end up doing is leading into a life of self-righteousness. And then what it ends up doing is comparing your life to other people. So here's the things that I don't do, and you do those things. Well, why do you do those things? You shouldn't do those things because I don't do those things. And how dare you do those things when I don't do those things? And you call yourself a Christian, right? Have you ever gotten that one? So let's understand what this means. See, Paul is not saying that we'll never sin again. What does he mean? Well, there's a couple of good definitions. My, my ESV study notes talk about what it looks like for a Christian as they walk and they walk in this newness of life and as they struggle with, with sin. It says this, the definition there was, was very good and I liked it. It says, tyranny, domination, and the rule of sin have been defeated for us, for them. This means that the normal pattern of life 
for Christians should be progressive growth and sanctification resulting in even greater maturity and conformity to God's law in thought and action. So, so what the definition is, is saying is, is, is not saying, okay, the minute you become a Christian, you never struggle again. What it's saying is there's this progressive sanctification, this consistent maturity that we should be growing in the Lord. That the things that we used to do, the desires we used to have, should be ebbing away in our lives. And the life of Jesus Christ should be greater and greater in our life. I like what John Lynn says here about what sin is. Really good definition. It says, sin is living without reference to God. Not so much the do's and the don'ts, but it's living without reference to God. Not viewing him to be the defining reality of our lives around which our entire lives need to be centered. And when we don't live as God, as if God is who he is, we violate his law and all the good, loving, protecting guidelines that he has provided for us and how to best and most fully live. And so what Paul is going to do in his letter to Timothy, we know Timothy was Paul's protege. Timothy is in Ephesus. He's dealing with the church there. And the issue with the church is false teaching. There's some false teaching that's infiltrated the church. And so Paul's instructing Timothy how to not only deal with false teachers, but how to stay true to the gospel message and teach what is true and pure and also for Timothy to remain true and pure as he deals with those who are easily leading people astray into all kinds of speculative arguments, things that really have nothing to do with the gospel message. Paul's saying, deal with that. But he's going to point out, Paul's not going to pull any punches here on what sin is. And then what he's going to do is, how do we live humbly under the dominion of Jesus and his authority so that we live in his will and we don't allow sin to be our master any longer? And I'm going to to talk a little bit between the difference between struggle, because we all struggle, don't we? There's a difference between struggling and there's a difference between domination where we just give in, it becomes habitual, or we don't care. And so there's a difference there because for a life in Christ Jesus, there is freedom. And so let's see what Paul says to Timothy. He's not going to pull any punches here. We're going to look at verses 18 18 through 17 in chapter 1. It says, We know that the law is good when used correctly. For the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless, rebellious, who are ungodly, sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father and mother or commit other murders. The laws for people who, who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality or, or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. Now, let's put a pin right there, just a second. Paul doesn't stop there. So yes, Paul just threw out the gauntlet. Paul says, here's why the law is good, because it points out how far we've fallen away from God. It points out what God's Standards are. In fact, the word sexual and moral there is, is the word pornos, where we get the word pornography, which literally means anything outside the covenant marriage bed is sexually immoral. That's what Paul is saying there. So it's all inclusive. And so what Paul is saying is here are the things that go against God's standards or against God's law. Now, Paul is not standing as the judge. Listen to what Paul says now. How do we balance that out from seeing the things in the world that we know are wrong? 
that we know go against God's moral law? And how do we juxtapose that with our lives and how to live humbly before the Lord? Listen to what he says. This is so good. Everybody say, so good. Okay, the word of God is so good. Listen to what it says. It says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how gracious, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with faith and love that comes from Jesus Christ. Paul recognizes the mercy and grace of Jesus even in his own sin. Now, he, now he, he, he even goes on further. Listen, he says, this is a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save perfect people. So he came into the world to what? Save sinners. And every single one of us in this room is a sinner. And he goes, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience, even the worst sinners. Let that soak in. Paul, does just, he just doesn't stand back and point the finger at all the atrocities in the world. He says, God had great patience with me, the worst of sinners. It's by God's grace that propels, uh, propels Paul into the world, this lost world, to share that wonderful message of Christ, that Christ wants to reconcile them back to a right relationship with God. He just doesn't point out all the ills of society. He says, I was the worst of sinners. It was by his grace. It was by God's patience that he saved me. That is the lens that we need to look at our world today. We have to look at it that way. Otherwise, we will miss the heart of the gospel message. He says, then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. And everyone said, amen. I love that. See, what Paul does here, he, he starts by saying that the law was good to expose the nature of our hearts, how far we have fallen from God in our relationship with him. So we in our sin violated our relationship with God. So think of it this way. When someone has sinned against us or we sin against someone else, that relationship is broken and it needs to be restored. So what Paul is saying is the law pointed to the fact that we need a new heart. We need to change. And there's no way we could do it ourselves. So the law brings this combination and this guilt showing this is how far you have fallen from God. Here are our standards and you've fallen away. But God doesn't leave us in that state. He goes, I'm going to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. And he sends us his perfect son to meet all the requirements, all the demands of a holy God for you and I. What a beautiful thing that is. And so what Christ does is Christ fulfills all that the law required. So the law is good because it's actually a restraining force. I, I'm thankful for the laws that we have in our land, right? Because it's a, a restraining force. And so the law, God's law was good because it was a restraining force. We're no, un, we're no longer under the law. Now we are in Christ, yet the law gives us wisdom on how to conduct our lives. 
So the law shows us what actually pleases the Lord. So what happens is Paul then shares how in his past, he was the worst of all sinners. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't try to justify it. And see, what Paul does is he sees the justice of God that no one, no one can come into the presence of a holy God in their own strength, in their own doing, in their own goodness. And so by Paul saying that I'm the worst of sinners, what he's saying is God received me through his grace and mercy. It was completely by his grace and his mercy that he received me. By Paul understanding the justice of God, Paul could understand the grace of God more clearly. Here's here's where we go wrong. And this is where I love you as your pastor, okay? Because we want to talk about the grace and mercy and the love of God, and we all want to join hands and sing kumbaya. and And listen, that's okay. But listen, God is a just God and he has to deal with sin because he is perfect and holy. Paul understood that. Paul was actually acting religiously before his conversion. He thought he was pleasing God, but he wasn't. In fact, he was coming against God's very will. And what Paul understood was the justice of God, that there had to be a penalty paid for our sin. Paul understood that. That's what makes Jesus and what he did in his grace so glorious because none of us deserved it. If you, listen, I, I don't want to, we can come away with a message like this and say, man, I just feel so beat up because I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. Guess what? You're right. You never will be good enough in your own strength, ever. But here's where the freedom comes. And we're going to talk about this in a moment. Here's where the freedom comes in Christ that God receives us through his grace and his mercy, even though I was the worst of sinners. It's through the work of Christ that I now come to God and find myself righteous before him in the righteousness that I'm now clothed in Christ. That's why Paul is such a joyful guy and, and can spread the gospel message because he's not condemned in his own sins any longer because he understands the work of Christ that was applied to his life, even though he did not deserve it. So Paul, what he does is he shares how his past, he was the worst of all sinners. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't justify it. Here's the amazing thing. He says, but yet God still uses me. Paul is amazed that God would trust him with the message of salvation after all he had done. Has your past ever come back to haunt you? Let, let me, <laughs> got real quiet in here, but let, let me, have you ever, have you ever, you know, you're, you're, you're before Christ, your BC life before Jesus, and then you run into somebody that doesn't know you're a Christian now, and they knew the party you, right? They knew the, the, the wild you. This happens all the time with Ruth Brooks, by the way. So she, I'm just teasing. I, I love Ruth Brooks. She's one of our oldest members of our church. I love to pick on her. I haven't picked on her in a while. But maybe some of you, your, your, your family can't believe that you've changed, you know, how, you know and, and this, listen, Paul shows us that, that, that God is this God of, of second chances. So if that's you, you're in perfect company with Paul because that was Paul because when he converted, many people were like, wait a minute, are you sure that this is the same Paul that used to persecute and want Christians killed? Now he's one of us? He's wearing the same jersey? Are you kidding me? Wait a minute, he was, he was on the opposite side. Are you kidding me? That was Paul. That was Paul. But our God is a God of second chances. 
Paul tells us that he did all these grievous things, yet God's mercy was upon him, and it was by his grace that he found forgiveness. I am so thankful God is not quick in my judgment. Because you know why? He has every right to be quick in his judgment. But Paul says he is patient. He is long-suffering. Verse 16, Paul uses the word great, great patience. God is patient with us. Listen, when we pray for the world and we see the things that are going on and it's frustrating, I'm frustrated, you're frustrated. Listen, it's with great patience. It's through the grace of God that we can never stop praying and believing for God to move in the hearts of people, whether you're praying for a child or a family member. It's with great patience. Here's the thing. Many times when I pray, I want the situation to change. So my prayers are more directed that way. Like, okay, God, if you can change the world, change this person, change their heart. And the the other day, the other morning, I was just doing my devotions and just praying, praying for our family and praying for individual needs. And it was like the Lord just dropped this in my heart. It was like, it was like all of a sudden, it was like God turned the mirror on me and started just looking at my heart. He says, Barton, there are things that need to change in your heart. And if just small little minuscule things, but it was things that needed to change. And it's amazing when you're in God's presence, how he changes your perspective, how he changes your heart, how he gives you a greater patience, how he allows you to see through his lenses the way he views the world. That's why Paul writes this. So yeah, Paul drops the bomb and says, here's what the sins are. He calls it for what it is. But yet he stands back and says, I'm the worst of all these. If it wasn't for God's great patience, I would be just as lost as everybody else. And so that's why our hearts need to change. As grievous as the things that we see and as hard as they are, we need to look through the heart of Christ in our world with love and just completely immersed in his love and recognizing it was God's great mercy that saved us. Never forget that. So Paul isn't being braggadocious by saying, I'm the worst of sinners, look at me. He wasn't doing that. You know, he wasn't given a testimony. He wasn't given a test lie. That's what we used to call people that used to give testimonies in church. We're like, is that really true? Are they really saying the real thing? You know, he's not doing it. He just, he's being honest by saying, listen, it was God's mercy because I was grievous towards the Lord. I did blaspheme his name. Was I proud of that? Absolutely not. But it was through his great mercy and grace that he gave me a second chance through his son, Jesus. God is patient with us. So I have to ask myself all the time, Barden, why are you so impatient with others? See, there's a neglect of understanding the gospel message. When I get so impatient with others, and you guys know my story, I'm not a very patient person in the car, and my wife Kathleen comes to tell me, Barden, Barden, it's okay, be patient, it's okay, it's okay. You know, I'm just, I don't know what it is. I just get impatient. And it's like, there's a disconnect with the gospel message there. It's like, God, you are so patient with me. You're so patient with me. May your message just envelop my heart so that I can look at this world and have your patience and continue to pray and continue to allow you to change my heart. I am so glad he doesn't give up on us when we mess up. See, when I do mess up, Paul understood, and we can understand through the word of God, that we have an advocate in Christ Jesus that we can run to. So here's, here's the struggle. The struggle is, Pastor Barton, how do I deal with um, maybe 
a habitual sin that's in my life that I know is wrong and I'm struggling with, and then just a struggle that I have in, in my life. And for some of you, it may be pornography. For some of you, it may be alcohol. I, I don't know what it is, but there may be something that's dominating your life right now that's overpowering your life, and there's a struggle. I am so thankful for those that are, that are just brutally honest and raw about their struggle. I'm struggling with this, and I fail at times, but I need help, and I need God's people. That's, that's what I love about small groups and our men's group, that many of our men's group that get together, and I hear men share about their struggles, and then another guy would say, hey, you know what? I'm in this struggle with you, and I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to walk with you through this. That's what the church should be in our struggles. The opposite side of that is when I hide in my struggles or I don't care any longer and I give up or I justify my sin by saying it's not that bad. See, that's exactly where the enemy wants you to live. He wants you to live in that darkness. But God wants to pull you out of the darkness into his life, light, wonderful light to give you freedom. Listen, can I be honest with you this morning? Are you ready? This is the best thing you're going to hear all day. We're all going to struggle until we meet Jesus. Amen? We're all going to struggle with stuff. We're all going to struggle with it. And see, where Paul was so right on by admitting his weakness, by admitting his past, by admitting that he needed God's patience and he's so gracious and so, so happy and, and, and about God's mercy and love in his life, it kept Paul humble. It kept him humble before the Lord, knowing that it was only by his grace and his patience that Paul was alive. Listen, God should have struck me down with lightning years ago, right? I love when people say, well, I can't come to church, Pastor. If I came to church, um, the, the ceiling would collapse. You don't know my past. And I'm like, I'm there. I'm there. And so is a lot of other people, a lot of messy backgrounds. God's grace and his mercy are always present for a sinner who comes home, who calls on his name to find forgiveness. So listen, we're all going to struggle. And when you're able to come out of that, I, I, I like using the illustration of a dark cave. The last thing I want to do as your pastor is push you deeper and deeper into a dark cave and, and cause us to be more condemned and, and feel more guilty because that doesn't draw you into the light. But when we're able to confess it, and we're, it, it loses its power over our lives and it allows Christ to be drawn into our lives. So we're able to confess it and bring another brother or sister into our life that's going to pray with us and walk with us through that, we give Jesus that power in our life to walk through those things. That doesn't mean we're all of a sudden it's just a snap of the fingers and it's gone or those feelings are gone or that struggle is gone. You may struggle with it, but now you're struggling with someone else who's helping you through that struggle. And you're knowing that you can turn your struggles over to Christ and he will be there for you over and over and over and over and over again. Don't hide in the cave. Because that's exactly where the enemy wants you. He wants you to justify your sin. He wants to lie to you and tell you it's going to be all right. You can do it yourself. You can't do it yourself. Come out of that darkness and into his light. I love 1 John. This is actually one of the first verses I ever memorized as a Christian. I, I really struggle now memorizing. I think it was too many concussions as a kid. I don't know what it is. But this is one of the verses I remember memorizing when I first became a follower of Jesus at... at um, age 16, and, um, 
actually Wednesday night, our Bible study, we're going line by line through the book of First John. So you can check that out. Come on Wednesday night. Dan Berardini's doing a great job. You can watch online too on Wednesdays. We're going line by line through the whole book of First John. It's been an incredible study. But I love this verse. I love this verse. For those of you who feel like you're in a dark cave right now, this verse is for you. For those of you who st- have been struggling with that same thing in your life, this verse is for you. In fact, this verse is for all of us. Let's see, what, let's see what it says. It says, But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now listen to what he says here. This is so enlightening. This is so truthful. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So what he's saying there, John's saying, is it's not that we're never going to struggle with sin, but if we claim we have no sin, then we're living in the dark cave. But listen to what he says. Here's where the power comes in. Here's where forgiveness comes in. Here comes power with living with Jesus comes in. He says, but if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Over and over and over and over again. Listen, Jesus already knows what's in your heart. Did you know that? He already knows what you're struggling with. Why in the world would I hide that from him? In fact, he says, Barden, you come to me with your heart, with all your messiness, with all your shortcomings, and confess it to me. Confessing our sin to the Lord allows us to walk in freedom. You've got to keep coming to him. You've got to keep coming to him over and over and over again. It's progressive sanctification. It's not a checklist. Listen, listen to me. If you start checklist in your life, like, oh, I don't do these things anymore, you're going to fall flat in your face because this reason, you're, you're, you're relying on yourself and your own strength and your own goodness. I love what David prayed in Psalm 51 when the prophet Nathan confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba and his adultery. Psalm 51 is the most purest, purest verse on repentance that you can read in the Bible. It's just amazing. But one thing that David said has stuck with me. He says this, my sin is always before me. That is not there to make him feel condemned and to make him feel like a loser and you're never going to amount to anything. David admits that his sin is ever before him. That keeps him humble before the Lord. That's why the New Testament can reflect back to David and call him a man after God's own heart. When he sinned over and over and over again, the reason why they can call him a a man after God's own heart is because David knew to turn to the Lord and repent and give his heart to him when he messed up. That's a man after God's own heart. Let's be a people of confession. Unconfessed sin will only drive us away from the Lord, from Christ. Confessed sin will always drive you closer to him. I love um, what Garrett Kell says here. He says, confessing to God brings us face to face with the one who knows us fully yet forgives us completely. I love that. So my question to you today is what are you struggling with? What things are you holding back from the Lord? And as we, as we take communion today, 
Um, I want us to remember the reason why we take communion and the reason why is Jesus wanted us to remember what he, what he accomplished for us. So whatever you're struggling with today, maybe it's a habitual sin, maybe it's something that you're hiding in the dark cave and you know it's you and no one else knows and you've got to confess that thing to the Lord. I would do that. And then the next step I would do is I would, I would talk to another brother or sister in the Lord to have them help you walk through it. We need each other. What Paul says is we take communion to examine our hearts. And if there's anything in there that's wayward, he says, confess that to the Lord. Here's where God's grace and mercy swoops into your life. When you confess your sins, he swoops in and he forgives us and he cleanses us. His body was completely given for us. When we take the cup, it symbolizes his sin, of the sin that he covered in our lives. It, it symbolizes the penalty. There's a penalty that had to be paid for our sins and his blood covers all our sins. Jesus became our substitute. The Bible says there, that there could be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Jesus, who was perfect in every way, shed his precious blood for you and I that we might be found guiltless before God. And so as we partake today, I would just say, just take a moment and allow God just to examine your heart and confess those things to him and allow him to fill you with his love and his joy and the freedom that he desires to give to those who confess their waywardness and their sins to him. Amen. So we're going to, what we're going to do now, we're going to take our COVID free uh, communion cups here and there's a top film layer. Pull that together. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Amen. And you can take the wafer out. And then the next is, we'll, yeah, the next layer there will take out the grape, will reveal the grape juice. Amen. Good stuff. Would you just hold the wafer in your hand? We're going to take this together as a church. We're going to pray. And we're going to thank the Lord. He says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And we're remembering his body that was given to us. What we're confessing is Jesus is the only way. That Jesus is the only one who can truly forgive us and cleanse us and make us right before a holy God. So Father God, as we hold this wafer in our hand, we confess that we need you. We confess that Jesus is the only way. We confess that our sins have held us back from you. And we confess that Jesus is the only one who can lead us into a right relationship with God. So we fall on his mercy and grace today. I pray that you would bind our church together with cords that could not easily be broken. Thank you for covering us over and over and over again. You are a perfect savior in every way. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the wafer together. And God, we thank you for this cup that symbolizes your blood that was shed for us. We thank you that your sacrifice was perfect in every way and appeased the righteous standard of a holy God. And by us putting our faith in Jesus, we are now clothed in his righteousness. Jesus' righteousness is now imputed into us that we can stand before a holy God one day, knowing that our sins have been forgiven. So we thank you for what this cup symbolizes. We thank you, Jesus, that you're the only way. In your precious name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Amen. Amen.
Can we thank the Lord this morning for his word? He's such a faithful God. Amen. He's so good.